The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We had all the time in the world for a rant yesterday, but not today, as we are set to recap the biggest of Big Wednesdays in the association. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation, and I'm your host, Dan Bespris. I want to dive straight into the games today, and then we can do a little bit of the promo, and I'll remind you, you know, how all of this pod stuff exists, but this is largely your feedback. You said, Dan, don't screw around. So we'll screw around mid-show. There'll still be a little screw around, but it won't come right here at the outset. Brooklyn beat Orlando 123-90. to Yeah, opened it up quite a bit late. Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, took a shot to the eye in this ball game. He finished with 9-5. and I things don't usually last that long. Now, I don't have a, an official report on him yet, uh, but I would assume he, he'll be questionable for the next one, which effectively makes him day-to-day, and, and I wouldn't get too particularly worried about it. From a, a maybe a larger impact fantasy standpoint in this ballgame, LaMarcus Aldridge on the Brooklyn side, still only 22 minutes, but he got 16 shots up, and among any net player who actually saw significant playing time, he was second in usage just behind Kevin Durant. Ahead of James Harden. He ended up with 21 and 8, three threes and a block. And for Aldridge, I keep wanting to write it off. And at the same time, I keep wanting to not write it off because, you know, he's been like patron saint of the old man squad from time to time. He's more heavily rostered, perhaps, than he should be. He's 51% rostered in fantasy leagues. But to his credit, when he's been out there, he's been, well, relatively decent. Now, looking at his last seven ball games. And you probably have to go to his last eight because there was a 12-minute contest in there. There is a 28-minute game. That was their win over Indiana. 21 against Detroit, 17 against Atlanta, 21 against Detroit, 17, 23, 22. So he's going to be hovering in seemingly that 21-minute window. My issue with Aldridge is this. He's shooting 62% from the field right now, which, good though he may be at the mid-range, He's never been anywhere near that in his career. His best season sat at about 51. He shot 52% in five games with Brooklyn last year. I suppose we could go out on a limb and say he has his best shooting season ever at the ripe old age of 52 or whatever he's at right now, which, by the way, it isn't fun to know that I'm actually older older than Aldridge as I make all of these jokes. Uh... I think he's only 36 right now, actually. The point is, 62% isn't going to hold. He'll shoot better at the free throw line. He's only at 73% there right now, but he also isn't taking very many. So the impact of that going up is going to be much smaller than the impact of field goal percent going down. So 13 points, 5.5 rebounds, and 1.2 blocks in 20 minutes feels, unfortunately, largely unsustainable. Couple seasons back, he had 1.6 blocks in 33 minutes per ball game. So there is this weird outside chance he could somehow claw his way to around a block per ball game. 
But I just, I don't see how the 13 points holds. I don't see how the 62% shooting holds. And right now, with all of that stuff going the right way for him, he's number, like, right around number 100. So you can go for it while he's hot, but be ready. We'll call him kind of a long stream. Not because he's filling in for somebody, although Nicholas Claxton has been out for a lot of this. But he's a long stream because it's just, it's kind of the Carmelo Anthony long stream, but uh, much less effective. He's just sort of going until he's not going anymore. On the Orlando side, Mo Bamba stands to benefit, if you can even imagine that, from Wendell Carter Jr. being out. Franz Wagner had six steals in this game and has not really been largely impacted by the return of Chuma Okiki, at least not yet. And we have no updates on Jonathan Isaac, so just keep rolling with what you're rolling with. Washington beat Cleveland on a pair of last-second three-pointers from Kyle Kuzma, who finished with 22 on six three-balls. And yet, despite all of this, Kuzma's not even inside the top 125. So this is it highlights the massive shortcomings in his fantasy game. Not many defensive stats. Both percentages are bad. He's scoring. He's rebounding. But he profiles as a points league kind of guy. Montrez Harrell got cooking. He's not going to see as many minutes now with Daniel Gafford back. Who, by the way, can probably be had at a pretty good discount. Gafford's number 106 right now uh, in 19 minutes per ball game. The minutes have generally been higher when he's not getting hurt. Uh, the shots are probably going to slowly increase as he gets more and more comfortable. Although, again... I think the issue with Gafford is that people just didn't realize what they were drafting. He was always going to be a guy who took five or six shots per game, made three of the five, or even four of the six, did his damage with field goal percent, rebounds, and defensive stats. That's who you drafted. He was never going to be like a 20.9 rebound guy, because if he was that, that's like a top 30 kind of dude. This was always a Daniel Gafford with minutes can be top 80. That was always the thing, and he was an extraordinary value until Yahoo made those very late substitutions. Remember, they changed their draft board the Monday before the season started. He was going in the, like, 115-125 range, which made him a good value, and then they bumped him up to, like, 90 on their board, and the value kind of went away. But people drafted him at 85 or 90, thinking, well, you know, got to stay ahead of the curve here knowing full well that there was a logjam there, and Rui Hachimura isn't even back yet. Not that that's going to have a massive impact on the center position, but it will on power forward, and then guys sort of get pushed into different buckets. So you could probably get Gafford on the cheap. I don't think the people that have him are really all that enthused, which is uh, great for us, because that means you can go get a guy who's sort of a top 100 kind of floor when he's getting 20 minutes a game, and people not even realizing what they have. Meanwhile, Bradley Beal is still desperately hunting for his shot, which has not yet shown up. Uh, he's number 57 right now, largely because he's shooting 40.5% from the field. A lot of the other stuff actually profiles pretty good for him to this point. But if you get that shooting percentage up on a guy taking 22 shots per game, uh, that changes a lot. His turnovers are also weirdly high this year, whatever that's worth. I'm going to do a little bit more primary work, I suppose, but uh, maybe that'll bear itself out with some assists. No big um, valuation changes on the Washington side. And kind of the same story with Cleveland. Ricky Rubio came off the bench, but he was able to still do his thing, which they're going to need him to do. Like, the bottom line is that without Colin Sexton, Rubio becomes the guy. I know Isaac Okoro drew the start, but he just doesn't have the offensive game 
to to run this thing, and Darius Garland doesn't seem quite ready to run this thing by himself. So it's Rubio. And every game, he just climbs a little bit higher on the boards. He's at number 91 right now after a couple of bigger ball games, and he's just going to truck along probably at like a top 60 clip while Colin Sexton's out for a long time. Jared Allen was fine, missed some free throws. Otherwise, would have been a really nice ball game. Garland was fine also, although I think that's sort of the story of him right now. He's number 99 in nine-category leagues while still shooting 48%. But that should go up with no Sexton. Again, the, the usage for all of the main guys should be on the rise. Uh, and I would assume Larry Markinen is back in the not-too-distant future. He's missed, what, about a week so far? So he's probably within the next, what, two, three games of coming back? So that'll help. And he was playing well. Detroit beat Houston, battle of the rookies. Cade Cunningham versus Jalen Green, top of the rookie class. Cade wins battle number one because his team won. Jalen actually outscored him 23-20. to 20. Uh... A pretty good battle there for the young guys. And to Detroit, I mean, yes, they're playing against Houston's non-existent defense, so this is a really nice game for everybody to just sort of get loose a little bit. Jeremy Grant got loose, and he got loose for 35. Big ball game for Jeremy. It's the beauty of still being early in the season. Jeremy Grant went from being in the 90s to ranked 69 with one big ball game. That's all it takes. Sadiq Bey played better. And he's going to have his ups and downs this year. He's number 125 right now, mostly because he's shooting 38% from the field and 69% at the free throw line. Some of that is going to trend in the right direction. And as Cunningham settles in and his electricity, his gravity on a basketball court changes things for these other guys, Grant's going to get easier looks, Bay's going to get easier looks, and the big guys are going to get easier looks. Kelly Olynyk. Was playing well, uh, fouled out of this ball game with, what, about two, three minutes to go. Probably would have finished it out, uh, but did also leave with an injured knee. It was a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, if Olenek has to miss any time, Isaiah Stewart, obvious beneficiary there. Trey Lyles would pick up a few extra minutes as well, because Stewart was also in foul trouble in this game. He and Olenek combined for 11 personals. I'm holding on to both of those guys. We've already talked about why, so I don't think I need to go way down that rabbit hole here. On the Houston side, Daniel Tice has quietly been actually pretty good the last two or three ball games. He's still not quite there overall on the year, but if you start to look at the smaller sample size, which I know is a weird thing to highlight on a show where we almost always preach uh, patience and understanding what someone really is, Tice is actually top 75 over the last three or four games. He's shooting an unsustainable 70% from the field on that stretch. Uh, But minutes at 27, steals and blocks have come around a little bit, which is one of the issues in his first few games this year. He didn't get any of them. And rebounds, I would argue, are actually still a little bit on the low side. This is not me coming on air and saying you guys need to go pick up Daniel Tice. I, I, I think he probably falls more in the streamer level of player. So like between 90 and 130, and you want to try to catch him on the right night. But he's been pretty good, actually. No Alperin Sengun in this ballgame. He was out with a non-COVID illness. Those do still exist. I've had a few of them. Thank you, preschool. Ah, it's a weird thing to say. I'm not like hanging out at a preschool. I have a kid at one. Jay Sean Tate missed a few more free throws, which sullied what, again, what otherwise been a pretty good ballgame. I got to think the Rockets are going to be dead last in the NBA in free throw shooting if they're not already. Because there's Kevin Porter with... Was that the worst 
I think he might have had the the biggest negative impact of anybody on the card on the night. I might be wrong. I'm not going to look that up, but he was certainly in the bottom five of any player. Like, he would have been, your team would have been much better off just taking zeros. And that, I, I don't want to take too long on this little, so, this tangential rant, but I just, I, I'm so annoyed when folks ask me on Twitter what they should be doing with Kevin Porter Jr. Because it just means that you didn't listen to anything I said. That's not true. That's not fair. Let me wipe that off. I'm not going to edit that out because it's easier for me to say, no, that's the wrong thing to say. Mea culpa. It's not that you didn't listen to anything I said. It's that you didn't listen to one of the things that I really leaned into. Because you might have listened to other stuff. I don't know. I hope you did. But that was one of those ones that I harped on and I beat it. The dead horse over and over again. There was points where I was like, I shouldn't talk about this anymore because it's just going to seem like I'm being cruel to a player that, frankly, is sort of rehabilitating his value after having some teammate struggles and mental hurdles in his time in Cleveland. I root for all of these guys. I don't dislike any NBA player. There was a stretch where I did kind of dislike Dwight Howard. He annoyed me. But overall, as a fantasy analyst, you have to be pragmatic about all this stuff. I don't care who these people are. I like them all. I want them all to succeed. NBA is more fun when everybody's doing well. But from a fantasy standpoint, just an unmitigated disaster. And I kept saying, look, like picture Russell Westbrook, all the things that you detest about Russell Westbrook's fantasy game, the brutal field goal percent, the brutal free throw percent, the needlessly high turnovers, and then take away Westbrook's steals and his rebounds and most of his assists. And you got Kevin Porter Jr. Do you know how hard that is to have fantasy value when you have those ridiculous negatives? You have to be so unbelievably strong in the other categories just to even be on the leaderboard. It's a testament, frankly, on the Westbrook side to how much he does do for fantasy teams in rebounds, assists, steals, and scoring that he can be that awful in both percentages and turnovers, and still be startable in 12-team leagues. Porter isn't. And then, and then I get the question, like, should I drop him? Like, yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the real answer is you're, again, better off playing nobody instead of that slot. He's way, way into the negative in what he's doing to your team. He's wrecking you in three categories, and he's barely helping you in a couple others. But at the same time, it also feels almost anticlimactic to drop a guy like that because you probably spent like a seventh-round pick on him. People were drafting him stupid early. So I don't know. I don't know if you could trade him for anything right now. I don't know that you will be able to trade him for anything because I don't know that that stuff is magically going away on a team where they're there just aren't that many guys that teams need to worry about. Like, what do you game plan for with Houston? Christian Wood and Kevin Porter. And then everybody else, it's like, well, I think we can probably just handle this. At some point during the year, Houston's going to become that team that, and if they might have happened already, but probably not because everybody's still kind of fired up to start a new year. But at some point, teams are just going to completely overlook Houston. And then maybe in that weird little instance, you see... The turnovers get better and the field goal percent get better for Porter because teams are just like, whatever, we don't care. We're going to win this game with a hand tied behind our back. But for right now, while opponents are actually trying, 
It's ugly. Man, that team can't shoot free throws. Good Lord. Overall, however, Christian Wood is a guy you need to be starting. Jay Sean Tate, I believe, is a guy you need to be starting. He's shown himself to be good enough where I know you can't just wipe away the free throw shooting thing, but right now that is sort of the big hurdle to his value is he's taken too many of them and he's not very good at it. Uh, but we saw last year he's fairly elite in steals and he's starting to get a little bit more wiggle room this year among the young guys. And then with Daniel Tice, I don't know. I mean, I don't have particularly high hopes, but since he came back from his uh, toe thing, 18-5 and a couple of steals, 14-5 and two, a steal block, a couple of three-pointers, like these actually look pretty good in three games in a row. And then one game even before he got hurt where he took 29 minutes down, if the Rockets remain even marginally competitive in a basketball game, Tice is probably a top 90 kind of guy. Problem is you're going to mix those in with the blowouts where he'll get 18 minutes and won't crack the top 170. So you kind of have to pick your battles there. Maybe fits a bit more as a Roto Games Cap guy that you deploy when the Rockets play another bad team. Because then you figure, all right, well, they're probably not going to lose by 30 to like, the Pistons or the Thunder or someone like that. In any event, let's move along. Toronto blown out by Boston. Pascal Siakam likely to sit the second half of a back-to-back, but he was fine in this one as he works on getting his legs back underneath him. Two games in a row now without a steal for Gary Trent Jr., and this is, believe me, not something that I'm celebrating other than to note that he was never going to average three steals a ball game because the best of the best of the best in the NBA is usually like two guys that average over two steals per game. And even then, it's pretty nuts when it happens. It's like Matisse Thibault, who's just an extraordinary freak athlete in terms of how he can get into passing lanes. We saw uh, someone like a Larry Nance in previous years where he had so many deflections that eventually... And he was at 1.7 last year, remember? TJ McConnell was at 1.9. They didn't have a game where he had 10 steals, and they had a game where he had like eight steals mixed in there. And then it was Jimmy Butler last year was the only one who cleared two. He was at 2.1. We can play this game all day. If you go back two seasons to the injury-shortened campaign, Ben Simmons was at 2.1. Chris Dunn was at two. There were a handful of guys at 1.8 and 1.9, but we're only looking at two or better. So this was two guys two seasons back. It was four guys three seasons back. Paul George, Rob Covington, James Harden, Chris Paul. Those guys were two steals or better. All of this to say, Victor Oladipo averaged 2.4 the year before that. We're going way back now, when Oladipo was a second-round pick. He tricked us all. He tricked us all. All of this to say, these guys don't grow on trees. Now, could Gary Trent actually remain someone who sticks near two? All right, fine, I'll give him that if you want me to. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'll give him that. Because uh, it, was, it wasn't like he was bad at steals in Portland. He just was, like, fine. He was in the middle. Middling. 1.1, 1.2, that kind of thing. You could see that go up by a couple based on new digs, more minutes, defensive scheme, things of that nature. In Toronto, they get a little more helter-skelter. 1.2 could become, you know, 1.8, something. That's a, still a pretty substantial jump, but it was never going to stick at three. So you always had to kind of handicap what would Gary Trent Jr. be this season if you dialed his steals back from three to about 1.7, and it puts him more in that kind of top 75, top 85 range, which is where he's probably headed right now. If you can sell him for anyone inside the top 50 or 60, I think I would do it. 
Meanwhile, I don't know if you guys need me to say it again, Chris Boucher, we can safely dump. We held him the extra week to see what would happen. Nothing good happened. Now we can move along. No harm done. On the Boston side, uh, Dennis Schroeder had eight turnovers, but does stand to benefit quite a lot here with Jalen Brown out. He had 23 and four to try to cover up the turnover issue. Hard to when you have eight, though. Jason Tatum got off to a big start, slowed down later in this game, and then they didn't really need him super late in the game. Although he did still log 36 minutes, 22, 12, and 7. Still cannot hit a shot to save his life. Uh, but all of this stuff is going to come around, and everybody's like looking for a reason why no one can shoot. They're blaming the ball. They're blaming injuries. I still really think none of these guys picked up a basketball for like three months when last season ended, and so they're all just way out of sorts. And they're taking more contact. But, like, jump shots aren't going in for a lot of dudes either. And those guys are not taking contact. Marcus Smart was a little bit better. He wasn't really what you'd call a traditional buy low. Because he's still in that, like, 130 range. But, like, what are you going to give up for Marcus Smart? But he's shooting just 33% from the field, 67% of the foul line. Both those numbers are coming up for him. And uh, he is an elite steals guy. So he could be someone that ends up in between 1.5 and 2. And then the other stuff was pretty good yesterday, I thought. Six assists, three boards, shot the ball a little bit better. Just, to, like, he's having a Draymond Green-itis right now. Guys can't even make free throws this year. And then Al Horford, not surprisingly, slowing down a little bit. I love me some Big Al. You guys know I love me some Big Al. But he was never going to stay inside the middle of the first round. That bad game, I know this doesn't seem like much, dropped him from, like, 6 to 11, but that's actually pretty far. If that happened again, that would drop him from 11 to 21, and if it happened again after that, it would drop him into the mid-30s. I think Big Al probably sticks in the 50s, or, sorry, above 50, I should say, but first round was always a big leap, and so if you can, again, go find someone who's in the ranked in the 30s, or even early 40s, I think I would do it. Just lock it in. Bucks beat the Knicks, but may have lost Giannis and Grayson Allen to injury in the ballgame. Neither one of them seemed that severe in the moment, but we'll see how the Bucks play it going forward. Grayson Allen's been unreal to this point. Uh, one of the most efficient players in the NBA through the first 12 games of the year. If you've been long streaming us with him with us here on the podcast, you've had yourself the number 49-ranked player in nine-category leagues so far. If Giannis has to miss any time... Uh, there isn't an obvious fill in there. It'll be a whole lot of Drew Holiday, a whole lot of Robert Portis. Bobby's going to go nuts. He had a weirder one. This is a strange game for Bobby yesterday. And then Pat Connaughton sees a bump uh, if Grayson Allen estimates more time. Connaughton was already like right on the cusp of streamable. If you take anyone else out of the mix, then he mo very clearly jumps over the line. On the Knicks side, just throw this one out. Starters were getting punked, so... Uh, Thibodeau went to his bench unit for basically 18 straight minutes. If you're wondering why Emmanuel quickly played 27 minutes last night and Burks 29 and Obi Toppin 21 and Taj 25, it's because Tibbs was just like, screw it, my starters stink right now. Try something else. I will note, though, that Evan Fournier has fallen off a cliff. He's number 130. Kemba Walker's fallen off a cliff. He's number 132. I don't think I can say that either one of those guys is imminently droppable, but I do think you kind of have to put them on notice, where if this keeps up, then they potentially could be. 
There just isn't that much usage for that dudes for those guys on a night-to-night basis. Fournier got off to the crazy start this year. I do think he ultimately moves his way back towards the edge of the top 100. Kemba probably the same thing. And then Kemba's got rest days coming, which you know, he was never a guy that should have been drafted in head-to-head leagues. But even in Roto right now, you got to bench him until he comes out of this funk because he is in a stinker of a funk. Mavs lost at Chicago. Alex Caruso's steals rate continues to be extraordinarily high. He picked up six in this ball game, and he's at 2.6 on the year right now. He's in that same Gary Trent Jr. bucket, where if that number comes down to 1.8 or whatever a very high number still would be, with Caruso, he's at 65, so he's a solid round and a half behind Trent uh, in the sort of non-steals category, where they're basically neck and neck in that one. Uh, I don't know that Caruso's going to shoot 49% the entire year either. That probably comes down a little bit. He's a guy you should be using right now. Obviously, he has more work with Patrick Williams out for the season. And Javante Green not consistent enough to be the answer. Javante the starter on that team, but that, you know, kind of in name only. Caruso did it in 23 minutes as well. Um, I, I just don't believe that this can last the entire season. Although, at the same time, I say that and then also add... And it's the, kind of the same thing with Jalen Brunson on the other side in this ballgame. Do I believe it can last all year? I don't. Do I think you should just keep playing it right now? I sure do. Again, call it the long stream. There's no finite end date where sometimes the long streams are guys filling in for someone else with injury or some other situation that dictated the long stream. This is just sort of an indefinite long stream. You just go with it, and uh, when when the worm turns, so do we. Nikola Vucevic placed in protocols this morning. Sounds like he did, in, in fact, test positive for uh, COVID. The, the backup center on the Bulls is technically Tony Bradley. The other main stars on the team are not nearly large enough to play a traditional small ball lineup. Like You can't play DeMar DeRozan at the five. He's already kind of maxed out playing the four. Uh, so you're probably looking at a, a startable run from Bradley, but I also don't know that I'm racing out to pick him up because he's not exactly a fantasy stud. And even in yesterday's game, there were stretches where the Bulls went really, really small. And they, I think they're going to run that a lot this over this voochless stretch of games because they're... Tony Bradley's just not very good, and they want to get their best players out on the floor, even if it means that they're going to be in kind of dire straits on the rebounding side and defensively. Quick note on Jalen Brunson. He had 12-4 and 7, no threes, one defensive stat, and that's always going to be the thing where you're like, okay, how do we get this guy to that next rung? And that's it. But just keep rolling with him right now. He's been pretty good. Usage uh, dipped in this ballgame, mostly because Kristaps Porzingis was better. I don't say better than him, just like better than KP had been. And Tim Hardaway Jr. shot the ball better in this ballgame. So there's all these little outside factors that are trying to confound the Jalen Brunson run. But I, you do need to stick with it, at least for now. He's the backup point guard, which is uh, a really nice spot to be in, and one that also plays shooting guard with the lead point guard. So he and Luka can move the ball around. We know Jalen's a very good field goal percent guy from the guard spot. And, like, he's been quite good. 
and yet he's still ranked right around 100, and that's kind of where he settles. He can max out a little bit ahead of that, but the, the lack of threes, the lack of defensive stats, and the fact that his free throw percent for a guard actually isn't that great, just slightly sub-80. He could get up around 80. In fact, he might, but right now he's slightly sub-80. It just makes it hard for him to stay over that threshold. But the Vooch thing, that's certainly the big news coming out of Chicago right now. Pels lost again. Yikes. Josh Hart ejected. You can start him in the next ball game. Although, it sounds like Brandon Ingram might be back for the Pels next game. So if you wanted to, wouldn't say it's the craziest thing in the world. If you wanted to bench everyone besides Brandon Ingram and Jonas Valanciunas, I wouldn't be that upset with you. And I'm including Nikhil Alexander-Walker in that discussion, despite the fact that he just had a massive ball game. He's, uh, he's a tough sell because of the efficiency stuff. This giant game pushed him right back to the edge of the top 100. You want to roll the dice on it? I don't really have a problem with it. I think he's kind of a coin flip when Brandon comes back as to whether or not he's going to be fantasy useful. I veer ever so slightly into the no, although maybe this is the start of a little gnaw heater. I don't know. Regardless, uh, JV continues to truck along. And then with Hart, I think you really should probably bench him for a game and see what it looks like with Brandon Ingram back around. On the Thunder side, uh, Lou Dort, 27 points. Don't be suckered in by that. Unless you're in a points league, you could make a play on him in, in a points format. But his field goal percent is trash, and the fact that he shot 62% for one night means nothing to me. Josh Giddy came awfully close to a triple-double. Still, again, trying to fight his way through some of the early NBA jitters, big turnovers, not efficient, that type of stuff. As he gets, as he turns the corner, he might be the most interesting of the rookies having rookie problems. Hashtag rookie problems. Uh, Giddy, maybe it's Cade. I should probably say it's Cade, but if we if you throw the like unanimously voted transcendent talent out of the picture, just don't look at Cade and look at Jalen Green and Alperen Sengun and all the other guys that are having trouble shooting right out of the gate but are looking like pretty good basketball players. Giddy is likely the one with the biggest ceiling because he boards, he assists, he gets steals. He'll mix in a three ball every once in a while. He's really just the efficiency categories away from uh, a colossal leap. So if you can go... And I don't, I don't know that I'm going to spend a whole bunch of my hard-earned savings on this. But if you can trade for Giddy, I think I would probably do it. Maybe someone who's proven, who's a little bit boring. I don't know what would get it done. And you're going to have to squat on Giddy while he deals with the fact that he's shooting 39% from the field and 62 at the foul line with three turnovers a game. But you can see the potential wrapped up in that, where he can leapfrog 30, 40, 50, 60 slots by just not being a bad foul shooter anymore. Charlotte beat Memphis on the road behind 37 from Kelly Oubre Jr. I did not see this one coming. He's still number 145 on the year, though, so don't worry about it. And kind of shuffle along. Miles Bridges did other stuff. But it is worth noting, he has fallen out to number 18 in fantasy. These things, man, they move fast. LaMelo's still at number 8. Even he missed a free throw, and he's down to 93% at the foul line now. But LaMelo, 9 boards, 8 assists, 2 steals, 2 threes. So uh, despite the efficiency stuff in this ballgame, 
his overall still was pretty good. But I, I think the Miles Bridges one is illuminating. First of all, his, his percentages have fallen pretty fast, too. Missed some free throws, missed some shots. He's still getting a fair amount of usage, though. I just, I didn't see how the, like, 18, 19, 20 shots a game thing was really going to stick all year. He's, believe me, he's notably better, but he was never going to stick in the first round. And so this is always the, this was the fear. I thought he would have a few more good games where he could maybe stick in, like, inside the top 12, top 15 kind of thing. The fact that he's falling a little bit right right now, you again kind of have two choices to make here. Choice one, hold out, hope he puts up one more big one, and then move him and try to get like a top 30, 40 type of guy. Or move him now while people are looking at him like, eh, is he falling off a little bit? If you could still get a top 40, top 50 kind of dude, that's probably still worth it. On the Memphis side, John Morant, another big ball game. He's pushed himself back up a couple of rounds again. Boy, guys are just flying all over the map right now. But JJJ is the one that I really wanted to focus on because everybody was freaking out about Jaron Jackson, and and all of a sudden now he's number 48, while still shooting 38.5% from the field. As that number claws its way into the low to mid-40s, he claws his way into the low 30s, maybe higher. Dylan Brooks came back, played 26 minutes right out of the shoot, and had a big ball game. actually. 20 points, 4 boards, 6 assists, 2 steals, 4 three-pointers. He's an add, and we know the efficiency stuff is going to be a killer, so he probably ends up somewhere near the top 100. The bigger question, I think, wasn't whether or not we're adding Dylan Brooks, but was actually what we're doing with Desmond Bain and or DeAnthony Melton. Melton still got 32 minutes, Bain only 21. You can't make a call after one ball game. We're going to give Melton all of the rope in the universe because we know how unbelievably good he can be on the fantasy side. Bain, we're not going to give as much rope. He's already down to 116 after one bad ball game, really. Melton's at 62, so he's fine right now. Uh, I get the feeling it's going to be a little bit of a hot hand thing between Melton, Brooks, and Bain. A lot of these guys occupying the same places on the floor. If someone's cold like Bain was, he doesn't need to play. He also fouled out, by the way. Melton wasn't particularly hot, but he was doing other stuff. Rebounding, passing, steals, blocks. So he got more runway. Yes, it gets more complicated. No, I'm not particularly worried about it. So many games. Sacramento-San Antonio. This is one where not a whole lot happens. Uh, Spurs beat the hell out of them. No Tyrese Halliburton for the second game in a row. So De'Aaron Fox finally got himself going. That was nice to see. 37 points. Uh, for De'Aaron Fox, and he is now, where the hell are you, De'Aaron Fox? 148, so he's on the rise. Things are moving in the right direction, but it's still a a pretty long way to go. Uh, And then, I don't know, I mean, this team, Kings, obviously a lot better with Halliburton there. I don't know, man. I don't know, I said it on Twitter, it feels sometimes like Luke Walton is just seeing how many things he can do wrong with his team and still keep his job. No idea how that dude is still a head coach in the NBA. None. Kings are perennially underachieving, given what they have on the roster. Meanwhile, Rashawn Holmes gets 19 minutes. Cool, man. Anyway, uh, Spurs side, Thad Young continues to be a really nice fill-in. Jakob Pertl expected to miss a couple more ball games with COVID. And then everybody got involved here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in double figures. Keldon Johnson, uh, 
almost in double figures. They just got stuff out of everybody. Derek White is a little bit of a buy low right now. His shot not falling at all. But his steals, blocks, assists, upside is just so big that I can't I can't quit you, Derek White. He's number 92, and nothing's gone right for him so far this year. This is a guy who has top 50 potential built in with just a few things clicking in the right direction. And I'd be more than happy to give up somebody, you know, like an overperformer in the 80s to get my hands on, on Derek White right now. I mean, you could probably give up Ricky Rubio for him. Uh, although I, I, not knowing how long Colin Sexton's going to be out makes me a little bit hesitant there. Because if you're going to get like three months out of Rubio, then you might as well just get three months out of Rubio. But if Sexton's only going to be out for seven, eight weeks, I don't know. I don't know. Don't take that number. Then you might rather have White the rest of the way. It's a balancing act. Will Barton, we knew he was going to have to do a lot. He did a lot. Denver beat Indy 101-98. And nobody else did much of anything. Zeke Nagy had 19-5. What? Monte Morris was quiet. Jeff Green was quiet. Aaron Gordon was quiet. Everybody was quiet. All quiet on the Western Front. Malcolm Brogdon came back for Indiana, but Karis LeVert did not play in this ballgame. And TJ McConnell had 16 points, 9 assists, and a block. And he's showing signs, ladies and gentlemen. He's number 138 right now. Slow start to the year. Still hasn't really found the steals. 26 minutes a game, that was enough to get him close to two steals a game last year. He's only a one right now. That's a big difference maker for him. But still, you've got to like the direction things are trending. Miles Turner, another good one. Demonis Sabonis, decent enough. Easy peasy, let's move along. Phoenix beat Portland. This was a tough one for the Blazers. This was kind of a scheduled loss after the late one uh, in L.A. The previous night, they fly into Phoenix, get there super late. Uh, I believe these two... Is Arizona back on a different time zone than California now? I've, I've lost track of when Arizona is and isn't on Pacific time. Doesn't matter. Point is, uh, McCollum was fine. Dame shot over 50%, so that was nice to see. Norman Powell has just been trucking... Gotta like that one. Norm is at number 52 right now. Terrific. Rob Covington, weird game. Just couldn't really get it going. Actually kind of got it going late, thank goodness, or it would have been a total disaster. But the bigger news here, Larry Nance. 26 and a half minutes, 13, 5, and 3. No steals, but 6 of 7 shooting. And just that first (laughs) sniff of playing time. Don't be caught with our pants down if this is the start of something for Larry Nance Jr. He's too good to be playing 9 to 15 minutes a ball game. They went and they got him. They got him. Not to do nothing. Which is why I still remain somewhat bullish on Nance, although I, I will continue to admit he does not need to be rostered right now. He's been horrendous so far this year, and he's not playing nearly enough minutes consistently to get there. But... We know Nance. The second he sees the 24-minute threshold, he's a go. And he did it here for one night. Need to see it again to get excited in any real capacity. I stash him in a couple of spots in, in roto formats where I can leave him on a bench to treat him like he's hurt right now. But, you know, if, if he's going to start playing 20-plus minutes even, I think he's probably a worthwhile head-to-head guy because then he's almost like an active stash. Frank Kaminsky had 31. Good Lord. 
JaVale McGee's a guy I started. He only had 14. The DeAndre Ayton fill-in crew had 45 points on 28 shots yesterday. 15 rebounds between the two of them. Sheesh. Guess you can keep using both of those guys. I still feel more comfortable with McGee. I know he didn't have the big ball game here. He's just an easier handicap. But Kaminsky got real hot. Andrew Wiggins got hot against his former team. I guess I should have seen that coming. Draymond Green hurt his leg and had to leave partway through this ballgame, which is a damn shame because he finally made some free throws for once. Freaking Draymond killed me with that weird, what was it, like a 2-for-11 or something free throw line to start the year? Still hasn't wiped that flavor out. Kevon Looney stands to benefit quite a bit if Draymond misses any time. He played 29 minutes in yesterday's ballgame. Did Looney 11 points, 17 boards. I don't know if his body can handle that many minutes for more than a game or two, but it is a worthwhile one-game stream if we find out early enough what Draymond's status might be. And hopefully this is the game that wakes up Wiggins because he was just piddling around in the 130 range, and now he's back up to 104 with one good one under his belt. Like, one game, like, basically fixed his field goal percent and almost fixed his free throw percent, too. Didn't do a whole lot else. I still want to see the defensive stats get back up there, but there's, there's just no reason why Wiggins shouldn't be, like, a top 80, top 90 kind of guy with Clay out. Now the Warriors are spreading the wealth around a little bit. I like seeing Nas Reed get 25 minutes on the Minnesota side. I cannot trust that that's going to happen on a game-to-game basis, which is a shame because he's a permanent monster, but I can't advocate him as a pickup. He's not even really qualifying as a streamer at this point, but it, it was nice to see him do a little bit more. And then Pat Beverly, 5, 6, and 7 with a block. He is barely startable as a starter on this team. Barely startable. Probably fits the bill more as a streamer type, but if you need the sort of off-kilter stats from a guard, that's your potential guy. And then, as if my team wasn't suffering enough yesterday, the Olenek injury, the Draymond injury, Jimmy Butler, my second round, sometimes first round pick on almost every one of my damn teams, turned his ankle uh, right near the end of the first quarter in the this ball game against the Lakers, did not come back, had seven points, an assist, and two steals early, he was on his way to another juicy ball game, and now he's going to miss probably a couple. Jimmy is not the world's fastest healer. His team is doing fine, so I would expect him to miss a couple of ball games. In the meantime, while I cry about Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry's going to do a lot. Tyler Hero is going to do a lot. And Bam Adebayo, who fouled out, did a lot, and is going to be asked to do even more. Which I guess maybe that's good for some of this stuff. Bam is uh, sitting right around the edge of the top 50 right now with steals kind of high, field goal percent kind of low, blocks real low, assists still at only two and a half, but trending in the right direction. The whole team has sort of... they have, The stats bear that the Heat are having issues in the half court, which is when a lot of Bam's assists happened last year. So the fact that they don't have that figured out quite right and why their three-point shooting is down, that's the kind of thing that I think gets Bam going at some point. Maybe this is it. Maybe having to play without Jimmy Butler for a couple of games will end up being good for the rest of these dudes. But they're not passing that well. I guess they did better in this one in that regard, but just overall, the passing for the Heat just hasn't been as crisp this year so far. Lakers... um, Man, I got it. They they did what they had to do, I guess. Malik Monk scored 27. Avery Bradley had 17. They got a lot out of a little. Westbrook triple-double. 
AD 24 and 13, but again, the efficiency stuff, man. Anthony Davis, he's so close to being the fantasy behemoth from days of yore, but he's shooting 74% at the free throw line, and I don't know that that's coming back for him. Ah, well. No, you're not picking up Malik Monk. You're not picking up Avery Bradley. And no, you're not panicking on Carmelo Anthony because he still had 12-6 and and a steal, even in a bad ball game. I don't know how he's doing it, but he's still doing it. I went through all of that and forgot to give you any kind of actual promo on the show, so you're you're getting lucky today. It's a promo-free Thursday, other than to say, please do continue to rate and review the podcast if you like what you what we've been doing over here at Fantasy NBA Today, and please do follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. There's like one new rating that pops up every day, which is kind of fun, and they're all just you continuing to say nice things. You're all too nice. Somebody write something silly. I challenge you. You can even change a previous rating to have something uh, sillier, and I think it'll update to the top of the board on uh, on iTunes. Doesn't matter. Uh, either way, thank you. Follow me on Twitter. We'll talk more over there. Giant recap show. That's really what Thursdays are on Big Wednesday. Tomorrow, we'll talk to the great Aaron Bruski. I'm going to call it Confirmation Friday. So I got a lot of things I've been talking about on this podcast. I want to go to Big Brew and get confirmation. What am I seeing? Is what I'm seeing true or is what I'm seeing BS? Confirmation with Aaron Bruski. That's coming up tomorrow. That'll take us into the weekend. Uh, and then, uh, again, no shows on weekends here after our crazy 40 and 40 sequence is over. Uh, enjoy the slightly lighter card today, folks. I think we damn well earned it. What do we got tonight? Three games? Ah, that's relaxing. How many on Friday? Oh, boy. 11 again. <laughs> ah, put an arrow through my eye. We'll figure this thing out. I'm Dan Baspers for Fantasy NBA Today. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.